0: Lengthy section. Now, there was a certain man of Ram, Ramath and Zophim of Mount Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Jehoim, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zoph, and Ephrathite. These are all great names if you are pregnant and you're looking for a good name. And he had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other Peninnah. And Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. And this man went up out of the city yearly to worship and to sacrifice unto the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. And when the time was that Elkanah offered, he gave to Peninnah his wife and to all her sons and her daughters portions. But unto Hannah he gave a worthy portion, for he loved Hannah." But the Lord had shut up her womb, and her adversary also provoked her sore, for to make her fret, because the Lord had shut up her womb. And as he did so year by year, when she went up to the house of the Lord, so she provoked her. Therefore she wept and did not eat. Then said Elkanah, her husband, to her, Hannah, why weepest thou? Why eatest thou not? Why is thy heart grieved? Am not I better to thee than ten sons? So Hannah rose up after they had eaten in Shiloh and after they had drunk. Now Eli the priest sat upon a seat by a post of the temple of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid and remember me, and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid a man-child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life. And there shall no razor come upon his head. And it came to pass, as she continued praying before the Lord, that Eli marked her mouth. Now Hannah, she spake in her heart, excuse me. Now Hannah, she spake in her heart. Only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli thought she had been drunken. And Eli said unto her, How long wilt thou be drunken? Put away thy wine from thee. It's, every time I read this, it's kind of heartbreaking. He was so far from God that he couldn't recognize this woman who was crying out to God. Heartbreaking. Going on. Verse 15, And Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I am a woman of a sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Count not thine handmaid for a daughter of Belial, the devil, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief have I spoken hitherto. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace. And the God of Israel grant thee thy petition that thou hast asked of him. And she said, Let thine handmaid find grace in thy sight. So the woman went her way and did eat, and her countenance was no more sad. And they rose up in the morning early and worshipped before the Lord and returned and came to their house to Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah his wife, and the Lord remembered her. Wherefore it came to pass when the time was come, about after Hannah had conceived. That she bare a son, and called his name Samuel, saying, Because I have asked him of the Lord. Would you go back to verse 6? And her adversary also provoked her sore, for to make her fret, because the Lord had shut up her womb. I'll read verse 7 too. And as he did so year by year, when she went up to the house of the Lord, so she provoked her. Therefore she wept and did not eat. I'd like to preach to you tonight with God's help on the right response to being provoked. The right response to being provoked. Let us pray. Reverend Hill, would you please pray over our message and messenger? Amen, amen. You may be seated. told Reverend Hill where I was preaching from as he put it into the presentation for the projector tonight. He said, oh, I have been studying and working on that same portion of Scripture. So I look forward to hearing uh, how he brings it out later on. Amen? Amen. That will be a blessing. Again, the right response to being provoked. Every one of us has experienced that. Somebody who came along and pushed our buttons. Now, they say that as a Christian, we shouldn't have any buttons. But as a human being, sometimes our buttons stick out. When you're hungry, when you're tired, when they took the last parking spot that you were already in line to get and they pulled in in front of you. When they cut in front of you at the line... Or they took that last rotisserie chicken that you were going to get, and you were going to have to wait 10 more minutes. Or maybe in a family relationship, the people that we love the most don't respond the way that we think they should. And they expose to us some of our own ugly. You know, one of the things about living closely with someone is... They see things that we have learned to overlook in our own lives. And sometimes when they bring them out to us, we just don't like it. We can get provoked. Now, there's a right response and there's a wrong response. Sometimes somebody will provoke us. Say, hey, man, you got some, uh, you got some on your shirt? Oh, yeah, well, you're ugly. That's not the right response. Somebody will say something to us, and, and there is a human desire to bite back. I love you tonight. We're glad you're here. I'm looking out. I already spotted several phones. If you just take a moment and just kind of put the phone down, it would be great. I'm not just talking to one person. I'm looking in the air, so no one knows who I'm talking to. Amen? But if you could put them down, maybe, maybe the Lord might have something to share with us tonight. That's not the right response. Now, just to give you a little bit of context, many of you know that in the Bible days it was very important for a Jewish woman to, to become pregnant when she was married. She had, as I shared with you not too long ago, there was a, a desire for a Jewish woman, not only a natural biological desire for her to have a child, but because they were looking for the coming of the Messiah. It was their duty to bring forth a child in hopes that their child would be the Messiah. And so not to have a child was not only to not meet your biological created purpose, but it was also not to meet the, the desire, the need of the nation. Perhaps you would be the one that would bring forth that Messiah. And so to not have a child, to be barren was looked down upon, not only in the sense of you weren't coming up in the natural sense, but you weren't contributing in the spiritual sense. It was an absolute shame. Shame. Throughout the Bible we find this happening time and time again. Women who were barren and bear the shame and they responded differently. In this instance, we have a man and he's married to two women. Now, again, back in the Bible days there was different customs and laws. That's not our custom and law today. If you're married to a wife, be happy with her. You're married to a husband, be happy with him. You can't trade him out for a newer model. Amen. But in that time, they had more than one wife. And this man by the name of Elkanah had a wife by the name of Peninnah. And he had a wife by the name of Hannah. And the Bible said that he really loved Hannah. But Hannah wasn't bringing forth any children. But his other wife was. And the Bible said that his other wife almost took happiness in provoking Hannah. You can just picture it in your mind. Well... You might be more loved by our husband, but I'm giving him more children. And it won't be long until the shame of your barrenness is going to eat away at the relationship. Can you picture how she would plant those seeds? You're not bringing forth any children. It won't be long until he doesn't love you. I'm bringing forth many children. He's going to love me more. Maybe he'll even get rid of you. The Bible said that she provoked her to make her fret. Now this is important. Because I want you to understand something. Oftentimes the thing that we allow to consume our thinking, fear, unbelief will actually draw the things that we're afraid of. You don't want to you don't want to say when you get out on the ice skating rink Oh, I'm afraid I might fall. You probably will. Oh, I'm afraid I might say the wrong thing. You probably will. If you get it in your mind about fear and about uh, fretting, you actually end up drawing the very things that you are afraid of. And so, her desire, Peninnah, who was bringing forth all these children, her desire was to provoke Hannah to fear flaunt over her that she had children, but Hannah did not. When you fear, you almost completely block the moving of the Lord. The Bible said he that cometh to God must first believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Fear and faith cannot coexist in the same individual, When faith comes in, fear has got to go. But if you allow fear to come in, faith has got to go also. And so we encourage the wrong response when we take action away from God. If you get in the financial bind, you don't want to fear and take the wrong response. You can bring the absolute wrong thing upon you. Trust God. You get in a bind in your spiritual life. You don't want to fear, get the thinking that, oh, man, the devil's going to get me and this is going to happen. I think everything's going downhill. I've got this cough and maybe it's cancer and I've got this headache. I hope I'm not having a stroke. All these things that you're actually drawing to you, you've got to begin to say, I'm a child of God. I'm on my way to heaven. I, I'm a son of God. Jesus wasn't sick when He's on this earth. I'm in the body of Christ. If there's a sickness that attacks me, I'm going to fight it back. I, I'm not going to sit around and accept it. I, I'm not going to give the wrong response to being provoked. Now, we cannot control the provocation. Everybody is going to be provoked. But we can control our response. Now, we've used this illustration before, but it's so good. When you speak about medicine and somebody that is sick and the doctor administers medicine, there's usually two words that they share, they use. They say, oh, he's reacting to the medicine. That's not good. Amen. He's having a reaction. Or they say, oh, she's responding to the medicine. Well, that's good. That means her body's coming around. And so the same thing applies in the spiritual realm. There are times when we are provoked, we can either react to it, we can fight back, we can be like a a snake that wants to bite back, or we can respond to it. God is calling us to have the right response to being provoked. Different people have different talents, different abilities. God wants us to use Our ability in a way that glorifies him. Our enemy is after us to go backwards, to fret, to look at what we don't have. But God is trying to inspire us to believe for something good. I want you to notice, all the while that Peninnah was provoking Hannah and Hannah did not have the right response, nothing was happening. But something began to happen. First, Hannah had an advantage. Number one, Hannah understood that it had to be her. Think about it. If there was no Peninnah, then Hannah could have said to Elkanah, her husband, I don't know what's wrong with you. You must be shooting blanks because I can't get pregnant. Amen. You can imagine that she would have have blamed her husband. Come on, wives. If nothing else, a husband is good as a target of blame. Amen. To accept the responsibility, one man said, I might as well go ahead and accept the responsibility because ultimately, I married my wife and I made the children, so it's my responsibility one way or the other. Amen. Hannah knew it was her. She couldn't push it off on uh, her husband because her husband had another wife. And the other lady was spitting out kids left and right. So Hannah understood it's not my husband's fault. It must be me. That's a blessing in disguise. Sometimes the reason that we don't get over the things that we're dealing with is because we have other people that we can blame. Hey, George, put your phone away, please. Thanks. Amen? Appreciate it. All right. We have other people that we can blame. and we're in the house of God. We ought to be listening to God's word. How many of you want to grow in God? To grow in God, you got to listen to what God says. you got to focus on what God is trying to tell you. Amen? Get it like a, a hungry dog snapping at the food that its master has given it. Amen? If God's putting it out there, grab it while you can. Don't say... Don't come with a a belly full of the world and then wonder why you're not growing in God. Stay with me. Our enemy is after us to make us go backwards, to fret. But Hannah had an advantage. She understood it's not my husband's fault. And it's not Penana's fault. The, The problem lies within me. And therefore she had power to do something about it. She could begin to pray and seek God. As long as you blame somebody else, as long as you look at everybody else, you'll never get out of your situation. It's not your mama's fault. It's not the government's fault. It's not the president's fault. It's not some other racist fault it's not your grandma's fault it's not the church's fault if something's not wrong or not right in your life you can look in the mirror and say that's the guy or that's the woman I need to blame And when you do that, that's a blessing because now I'm taking the power back from everybody else I was blaming. As long as I blame Brother Groves, I can't do anything about it because he's the one to blame. He's got to change. But if I understand, wait a second, it's not Groves, it's Devonshire. Now I can do something about it because I can't change him, but I can change me. So I had an advantage. The devil was very good at making us completely... Self oblivious. Are you still here? And it amazes me sometimes that people completely—they walk around and they are blind to their own their own uh, situations. And because of that, as long as they're blind to their own situations, they're constantly saying everybody else is to blame. But the minute we say it's me, it's me, it's me, oh Lord, then I can be forgiven. Then I can be filled with the Holy Ghost. Then I can be healed. Amen. If I say, well, my daddy was a drunk and my grandmother was a drunk, I I guess I'll be a drunk. You're pushing it off on your genes. But if you say, wait a second, there's a God that's greater than daddy and greater than grandfather and greater than my genes. Uh, I can be different. Uh, I can break the chain because God can give me a brand new DNA in Christ. Uh, I can be born again. And if I'm born again, I'm born uh, of a heavenly father. I've got a different uh, legacy. I've got a different fatherhood. And therefore, I can Differently, I can speak differently, and I can talk differently. Hannah knew it was her, she had an advantage. The incredible blindness and lack of self awareness of mankind, if it wasn't so serious, it would be laughable. One of the greatest gifts that we can be given is to understand it's me. Jim Rohn, who was a speaker and a businessman, a lecturer, he said, when he was 25 years old, he ran across a man who changed his life. He said, at the time, he had a wife, a little family, he had pennies in his pocket, nothing in the bank. And he ran across this man, and the man began to talk to him and teach him. And Mr. Rowan said to him. the man asked him, said, "Mr. Rohn, do you have any money in the bank?" He said, "I do not." He said, well, what's going on? We're living in the land of plenty in America where we got all kinds of possibilities. Why don't you have any money in the bank? He said, well, the people that I work for, they only pay me this much. And he said, Mr. Rohn, let me ask you, do they pay anybody else in that company more than they pay you? He said, they do. He said, then it's not the fact that they only pay that much. They're only paying you that much. He went on to say, well, uh, the problem is that that the taxes are too high. And this is going on and that's going on. And the man listed off. He had a long list of all the reasons why he wasn't succeeding. And finally, his mentor said, Mr. Rohn, I want you to understand something. It's not the taxes. It's not the company. It's not anything else. You are the reason. If you would begin to work on you more than give excuses, you would change. And a few years he went from being penniless to being quite successful. Now, I know that that's a, an example in the business world, but the same thing can happen in you. If you come to church and say, Pastor, you don't understand, I'm stuck. No, there is a God that can do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think. Pastor, you don't understand, I'm sick. No, there's a God that says that they shall lay their hands on the sick and they shall recover. Pastor, you don't understand, I've got a bad husband, but you don't have a bad God. I've got a bad wife, but you don't have a bad God. You don't understand, I live in Missouri. If you would go to California, you'd have the same bucket of problems because you take them with you. If you'd go to Alaska... Wherever you're at, it's going to be the same because you are going to be there. But if you understand, wait a second. I know that God is in me and I can be different. I don't have to be a druggie. I don't have to be stuck in the ghettos, spiritually speaking. I don't have to be stuck cursing. And with this low mentality, full of sin, just sucking in the world and its media as it just deadens my spirituality, I can turn that junk off and say, let me do something for Jesus. Let me understand eternity is knocking on my door. And God is calling me to make a difference. Hannah knew it was her. She had an advantage. But look what happens. She was tempted to accept second best. Her husband came by and said, Hannah, why are you crying? Am not I better to you than 10 sons? What he wanted to do was to give her a reason to stop seeking for the desire that God had given her. Just settle for me, Hannah. I'll take care of you. You'll be happy. I'll love you. You don't n- really need a child. You see, the minute that you stop seeking God and the minute you stop crying out for the best, the minute you accept second best is the minute you begin to fail. God, uh, Hannah was not going to accept second best. Yes, she was glad for the love of her husband, but there was something more that she wanted. And she was being provoked. What was the right response? Not to fret, not to accept second best, not to blame anybody else. But the right response was, let me do something about it. And it seemed as if when Elkanah said that to her, it almost woke her up. The Bible said she got up and she began to do something. Now, there's a progression. The Bible said she prayed. She did not eat. She wept sore. She cried. She vowed a vow. I want you to think about that. Because sometimes the problem isn't that God doesn't know our desire. It's that we don't want it enough. And Hannah kept on going this next level, this next level. I think about it sometimes how we settle for second best. We've got indoor plumbing, heat in the winter. We've got some food. We've got a way to get to church. What more do I need? And you just kind of settle into this little smooth roti- routine. Come to church at the last minute. Leave as soon as you can. Don't bother to be too concerned about anybody else. Because I'm pretty comfortable. But there's got to be some Hannahs that say, I'm not going to accept that. God has something more t- for me than just that kind of life. Listen. This has been on my heart. I was telling William about it. I said, God, when he calls somebody, he usually calls someone in that generation to reach that generation. I'm in my 50s. Sometimes talking to a teenager to look at me like, you don't know what you're talking about, old man. Amen. Usually, there's somebody in that generation... That reaches that generation. Now, we who have been around a a while, we can help them. We might be able to fund them. We got money where they might not have money. Amen. We might be able to do some things and guide them along the way. But usually someone in that generation has got to reach that generation. I heard a story the other day. It really spoke to me. They said this man, he would go and help his grandfather in this farm. And at the end of every day, hard work, they'd usually go to this one particular field. And and they had a flatbed, and they would roll out the stones out of that field. There's always plenty of stones there. And eventually, his grandfather died, and they sold that family um, homestead. About 20 years had passed, and they had a family reunion. And the man went back to where it was. Somebody else had bought that family homestead, and he looked, and he said... In that very field where they had rolled out stones, he said there was now corn that was taller than he was. And he said he probably shouldn't have done it, but he ripped off one of the stalks of corn. He went and he laid it on his grandfather's grave. And he said, Grandfather, grandfather, the very place where we rolled out stones, they're now eating corn. And the man used it as an illustration. One generation rolls out stones so the next generation can eat corn. And maybe we've been blessed because we stepped into a situation where we were eating corn. But there's a generation coming after us. and We've got to roll some stones out. And they might end up just eating corn at the beginning, but eventually they get to the place where they've got to roll some stones out. Amen. One generation prepares for the next generation. And we can't sit back and say, well, let me just, shh, let me just uh, do my lazy boy on my way out of here to heaven. Let me do all I can and help the next generation. I'm almost done. Stay with me. Get ready, musicians. She was tempted by her husband to settle for second best. But she said, that's not going to be good enough. I want more than just a husband's love. I want a child. She prayed. She fasted. She wept. She cried. She vowed a vow. That was the right response. God, I can do something about this. We're in this 90 day challenge. My desire, I think Reverend Hill also, is to provoke you, to stir your heart, to say, let's really do something while we have our chance. We're going to pray. But I want to call you to a day of fasting. I want to talk about it on Sunday also. But why don't we plan, not this Saturday, for next Saturday, for a day of fasting and prayer. If we really want to reach our generation, are we willing to take the next step? To not just pray about it, but let's fast. Let's vow a vow. Let's seek God. Let's ask God to do something in us. It's not the government. It's not the other church. It's not the neighborhood or the police or anything like that. We've got the ability to make a difference. What will you do? Say, preacher, you're provoking me. You can get upset and walk out and leave the church. That's not the right response. You can come and say, God, just take me back. Let me get back to that place where I first made that commitment to you. If you make that vow and you cry out to God, God can change you. God can use you. You can reach your generation. Would you bow your heads close your eyes as Reverend Tuig comes to lead the altar call.